Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Triple. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, it's a bit of a twofer that we've got going on tonight. As we are going to be reviewing from 1995, New Jersey Drive. Yes. Vincent's selection for tonight's stop on the Michelle Mission. But we are also going to share, I hope, because I have thoughts, and I'm assuming Vince has thoughts, we're going to be sharing our thoughts on a new documentary that premiered on Hulu over the weekend, Summer of Soul. Summer of Soul. But before we do that, as always, we want to thank each and every one of you out there listening to us and watching us as we stream live to Facebook and YouTube. We have some listener mail, Vincent. Oh, all right. We have an email from Catherine Alford. Hey, Catherine. In regards to our binge lounge. Okay. Great show, Len and Vince. I laughed along with you at so many points, but one favorite. Okay. Was when Vincent mocked Margaret Avery as Suge, declaring to her preacher father, I drinks whiskey now. <laughs> purple uh, color purple jokes are evergreen <laughs> but she also says but i must know if you have seen or plan to review woman in motion yet uh, as it has been released to paramount <sighs> plus app stay on your mission it only gets better Catherine, are you aware of Woman in Motion? I am aware of Woman in Motion, and I, I thank you for not saying, did you watch it like I told you to watch it, Vincent? Instead, <laughs> saying, are you aware? I am aware. <laughs> I have not watched it yet, however. I'm very much looking forward to it. I am very happy that Nichelle Nichols' efforts, her formal efforts, mm -hmm. in in bringing diversity and bringing women in particular and women of color into NASA has been documented. Yeah, I actually, Catherine, I did sit and watch Woman in Motion. Um, it, and for those who don't know, it's on Paramount Plus. It, it, it's a documentary from 2019, I believe, mm -hmm. that speaks of Michelle Nichols, Lieutenant Yohora of Star Trek fame, uh, speaks of her career, but primarily speaks of her efforts after Star Trek in, as you said, leading the recruitment to diversify the NASA space mission. Mm -hmm. So much so that over the course of their like NASA's existence, they had had something like a thousand applicants that were either black or, or, or people of color or women. Mm -hmm. um, that, and that's over like 20, 30 years. And at the end of her incredible four-month recruitment drive to change that, they had over eight thousand. That's amazing. It was it's it was absolutely incredible. And and actually, uh, as a little bittersweet uh, as it is, three of her recruits were on the Challenger mm -hmm. space mission. Yeah. Um. So that was really and and she's had other recruits that have actually made it into. Into right. space. Um, it's really an incredible story. Yeah, I know Dr. Mae Jameson has Mae always been very vocal about how much Nichelle Nichols' involvement in this mm -hmm. meant to her 
getting on the path to becoming an astronaut. Absolutely. And she famously cameoed yeah, on an episode Star of Star Trek. Yeah. So yeah. it was really cool, actually, because if you remember at the time, um, because her recruitment was right along the time of the space shuttle missions. Right. And if you remember at the the um, the christening of the inaugural space shuttle, which was the Enterprise, mm-hmm. deemed the Enterprise. That's right. They brought everybody from the original Star Trek crew there for the christening. Mm-hmm. Everyone, and everyone was there except William Shatner, actually. Um, but all of them were there. And as much as as proudful as all of the, them were to be there, you couldn't help but feel a little bit of extra special pride because Nichelle actually was the one that had the relationship with NASA. Exactly. You know exactly. I mean? The formal relationship. Yes. The yeah. actually formal business, personal, and every right. way, shape, and form. Um, and it speaks to that in detail in this documentary. So I really would champion a lot of people to check it out. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Really dope. Um, we also got an email from Terry Plain. Hey, Terry. In regards to our binge lounge. Listening to last week in the car, waiting for somebody to bring up Lucy Pearl in regards to super I groups. I was thinking about that on the way home. In vogue, Tony, 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 Tribe Call Quest, short-lived, but super nonetheless. Yes. I don't know, Vince. Do they really count as a super group if they couldn't really get out the box? (laughs) They broke up immediately. Right. And then remember when Dawn left and someone else joined? Yeah, I forget who for like two weeks. Yeah. And then that was and then that blew up. Oh Lord. Here we go. All right. uh, What what do we are? We how many I mean we're eight minutes in and already I'm Are you already to the Google? Already distracted. It's like because now you got to know who joined Lucy Pearl after dawn for ten minutes. <laughs> Joie was in right. Joie was right. Right. Joie was in Lucy Pearl for ten minutes. I don't even know if they recorded. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. Because um, because I don't think Lucy Pearl. They only had the one album. As far as I know, I'm. I'm looking. It's so funny when you look at um wikipedia and of course it says dis- discography yeah it, it's just the one album it's, it's just the one album and it says right dance tonight oh i didn't even know they released three singles well you can release three singles that don't mean nothing yeah right so joie joined and i don't know if they ever released anything with joie so yes Lucy Pearl, I guess, technically would be a super group. No. But blinking, you miss it. No, they wouldn't be a super group. Yeah. No, it's not a super group if That's you can't get out of dock. If you can't get out the dock, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on, man. No, that don't work. Just like, just like Heads of State doesn't count. Heads of State doesn't, well, they just sort of toured together. And did they really? I don't. I, I mean, exactly. I, it's, sort of like, it's sort of like the Oscar <laughs> Michelle ghost films. <laughs> Where there's no there's no print of the film, like there's no evidence of the film existing, but there are reviews <laughs> of the film. Exactly. Right. Exactly. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, we also got a message on YouTube from RM, and this was in regards to our review of Idlewild. Okay. Hi, RM. Idlewild is so fun. I think your assessment of the movie is a bit too literal 
okay. for what it is. Moments like the animated flask and the Cicely Tyson scene don't feel out of place to me in a film that establishes such a heightened tone early on. And while it definitely makes sense to cite the musicals and gangster films of the 30s and 40s as an inspiration, the main reference point touchstone for Idlewild has always seemed to be Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge. Okay. In terms of the filmmaking slash form, I've always felt that they really wanted to capture the same feeling in this film with all its quick cuts, frenetic editing, use of uh, anachronistic music and even basic story elements, a combo of Greek myth of Orpheus and classic opera. There's even a scene in Moulin Rouge where a character drinks absence and sees the personification of the drink, the green fairy, singing to him a very clear inspiration for that talking rooster flask. In terms of the filmmaking, I think a lot of what's was said is true in that Brian Barber seems to have bitten off more than he can chew. He clearly has vision, ambition, and I think a lot of the filmmaking, for better or worse, is intentional, but the exposition exposes a lot of his limitations. Bass Lerman's theatrical background and filmmaking experience mm. obviously gave him the upper hand in this staging and directing of Moulin Rouge, so yes, I agree, it's not a perfect film, and despite what this long-ass comment might lead one to think, I'm not going to die on this hill, but I won't totally dismiss it. <laughs> and I think there are people out there beyond outcast fans and completists who would actually enjoy it. Does it really seem so implausible that people who enjoy Harlem Nights, also a mess, or Coppola's Cotton Club would also enjoy this movie too? Anyway, I've typed way too much, but just wanted to add my two cents even when I disagree, I always take away so much from this show. Can't wait to listen to your upcoming episodes. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, you know, we much. love a disagreement and especially a thoughtful one. I know. So thank you for that. And I can actually see the comparisons to Moulin Rouge. That's yeah. Yeah. That's uh, a good I can pull. definitely see that. And I can actually see where, you know, as we mentioned and RM even mentions, even though the comparisons are there, you can see where you're dealing with Baz Lerman and his acumen versus Brian Barber. Sure. And his unfortunately lack of acumen sure. in that regard. So um I can ride I can ride with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And in that context, we love a big swing. Yes. Even if you miss. Right. So there you go. Right. So there you go. All right. So thank you. Thank you. Yes, for thank you. Thoughtful words. We appreciate it. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. Nobody ever heard of the Harlem Culture Festival. Nobody would believe it happened. Six 
next weekend with major artists. The Panthers with the security and kids were sitting up on the trees. I was nervous. I didn't expect a crowd like that. Something very important was happening. It wasn't just about the music. 1969 was a change of era in the black community. The styles were changing. Music was changing. And revolution was coming together. We are a new people. We are a beautiful people. That concert took my life from black and white into color. We wanted progress. We are black people, and we should be proud of this. We were coming together to say this was our world and how beautiful it was. We're going to try to sing a song together. Don't wait for your neighbor, because your neighbor might be waiting for you. We believed in what we felt in here. So when we went up, let's go. Let's go do it. Let's talk about Summer of Soul. Summer of Soul. Or when the revolution could not be televised. Yes. 2021 American documentary film directed by Questlove about the 1969 Harlem Film Festival. This movie is uh, playing actually in select theaters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, as well as the streaming on Hulu. Vince, I asked you to watch this film. Did you watch it? I have about a half hour left. I have about a half hour left. <laughs> Look, man, you know the rules. Something like this is a family affair. Like, it's not even just me and the wife. Like, now, Camille. So getting all three of us together to complete the viewing is a challenge. So wait, so so it's you, Wendy, and Camille. But Camille actually wants to see it, or you're making her see it. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, a little bit of this, a little <laughs> bit of that. You know. But you know what? It's the type of thing that, like, five years from now, she'll say, "Oh, I'm so glad we watched it." That's true. Right. That's true. So you know, and I it know definitely what, is an education because it, it's a it, window it, into that time. It very well is. I very much enjoyed what I liked. I will certainly co-sign everything that you're about. I'm assuming that the thing doesn't fall apart after Mahalia Jackson leaves the stage. No, it does not. So, you no, know, it does not. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I think it's very interesting that this concert takes place the same summer as Woodstock. Mm -hmm. I think that's very interesting juxtaposition. Um, and also the juxtaposition of where this falls in line with the culture mm -hmm. coming as it does a year from the assassination of Martin Luther King, as well as Robert Kennedy. I right, believe, right. Well. Bobby Kennedy was cited as well. And just the general mood in the country. Right. I mean, Malcolm X and JFK, if you want to just... Just, just a few list, years even before. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, so I think that's really cool. And then the film speaks to that. Mm -hmm. I think that is um, even more so than... Remember when we reviewed Watt Stacks? Yes. Which was another kind of very monumental mm -hmm. concert that took place in the wake of conflict. Um, this time in LA, but here, this was the Harlem Festival. But even more so than that, I felt that this actually is a D100% a time capsule. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why is because, as opposed to Watch Stacks, because by nature of what that record label 
is, it was really primarily one form of music right. that was being presented. Right, right. This is black music mm-hmm. in all its colors and all its diversity. You've got gospel. You mentioned Mahalia Jackson. There's a, a fantastic performance by pop staples and the and the staple mm-hmm. singers. Ray you've Beretta, got, you've got the Afro the Afro-Cuban, Afro Cuban Afro Latino. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got BB King. BB King, yeah. You know, remember BB King and yeah. Lucille wailing on this mm-hmm. joint, man? Um, you've got Stevie Wonder and Gladys Knight and the Pips right at the time before Right on the cusp. Bef- like it, especially for Gladys Knight because it's right before she kind of even like really, really blows. Mm-hmm. But for Stevie, it's right before he makes the change. Right. Right, right before he becomes like a little bit more enlightened, a little bit more culturally influenced in his music. He's growing up a little bit. Right. And the and the the documentary even makes mention of that. And he's still a phenomenal performer. But you can see him kind of like aging out of the popcornish Motown vibe. Well, just just to put it in in the proper perspective, this is night as you said, this is the summer of nineteen sixty nine. Stevie Wonder famously signs his new contract at Motown that he has full autonomy on his music. The first album from that contract is where I'm coming from, mm-hmm. which is nineteen seventy one. There you go. So he's right there. Yep. Like he's either about to sign the contract, his contract's about to run out. It's clearly on his mind. Mm-hmm. You can tell just from how he's approaching it. So yeah, and it's just and it's just a beautiful spectrum of you know watching people of all ages, shapes, and sizes just enjoying the music, sitting back, relaxing, just having a beautiful moment mm-hmm. in the park. Yeah, um, as it were. But there were two moments that really stood out for me. Okay, one was the performance by Sly and the Family Stone. Yes, who I've always liked. Mm-hmm. And always appreciated their sound, but I, I I never took the time to watch a lot of video of his performances, mm-hmm. right? So, so in knowing that and just knowing his story, I know that oh, he's a great musician, uh, can play like anything, mm-hmm. writes all his music, and leads a great band. I know that he started, I believe, with, did he start with James Brown? He worked out with a little bit. No, I know he was a DJ at oh, some. That's point. right, he was a DJ. And, and he was a DJ, like you said, just a prodigy. Right, yeah. right. Um, and then I and, and I knew that he at one time got maybe like, you know, some drugs issues or whatever. Right. But that was pretty much what I know. I didn't watch him perform. Watching him perform here, you can see that he is that midpoint between James Brown and Prince. Mm-hmm. And it's all right there. He's got the the showmanship of James Brown, maybe not the dance moves, but he's got the showmanship, and he has the the mastery of music and his band and the stage that Prince would just take and elevate even to a, a higher level. Right. And I thought his band's performance was amazing. Plus, I was not aware of how diversified That's his right. band was to the point that there were women oh yeah you know, they weren't backgrounds because you hear them on the music cynthia, you didn't realize that they're playing the music yeah, playing cynthia the trumpet brown on trumpet cynthia robinson cynthia robinson okay cynthia robinson who played trumpet yeah 
and mm-hmm. and I just knew her voice from singing the background. Yeah, never even realizing that she's she's blowing and she's wailing on there. Yeah, and she's nasty too. Like she is nat. Like this is not him just trying to have the visuals right of a bunch of different people. Like Cynthia Robinson is is the truth. Oh, she's no joke. Yeah. Well, his whole band was right, no right, joke, right. and they talk about that about mm-hmm. how how different his band was when they take that stand, and you and you can see them like they are they are from another planet. Look, when they take it's the stage. two white boys in the band, and one of them is on drums. Is on drums, and they talked about that. It's like, oh, white boy on drums, right? But you know, he handles it. Oh, he was he's wailing. Yeah, and then there was another moment, and that was with the fifth dimension. Yes. Yes, the fifth dimension come on, and they sing their songs. Primarily, their their huge hit, you know, Aquarius, let the sun shine in. And Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis mm-hmm. been married a million years, right? But they were in the group. Um, you don't have to be, and they're star, singing, baby, and 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 and, they, and they're telling, and, and while they're singing and they're performing, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis are watching themselves because, like they said, this footage right had been buried for like in somebody's basement for like 50 years right nobody had seen it even the performance so this is their first time in like really seeing it and you could see them overcome with the emotion of watching them their young selves because this was right at the cusp of the fifth dimension really blowing up as well Mm -hmm. watching them their young selves on stage and marilyn mccoo is telling this story about how much being on that stage meant to her and them because of how they were looked at in the black music world. Right. They weren't they were seen like the white black group. Right. Well like you said, Age of Aquarius is a song from hair. Right. So you know, all the hell going on in black the black communities and they singing hippie songs. Right. So right. So and and watching her talk about reliving how much that was a moment of acceptance for her and for the group you know from that audience and how much that meant to her right and you can see her kind of like start to well up a little bit right right in the present day footage. in the present day right like she's been marilyn mccoo forever forever and it's still very emotionally affected. yeah and yeah. And, and, and and it it got me i felt for her yeah you know and then they're along with interviewing like the different performers they're interviewing actually some people who attended Mm-hmm. the the concert and they're interviewing this one guy who talked about how he fell in love with yes. Marilyn McCoo <laughs> yeah. on stage yeah. right and I thought it was so precious a moment because he talks about when she's about to leave she was like no you can't go right right you right. can't go and I was like dude I feel you dog I, I've been like I've been there like when I'm looking at Anita Baker or the Valley Forge I'm like where you going no right like I was there and I was like yo this is this was it was it was really really a special you know i always wonder about stories like because you hear similar stories and and you you mentioned watt stacks and there's a similar moment in watt stacks with sammy davis jr that's true and unlike the fifth dimension there's actually a smattering of booze Mm -hmm. for for sammy davis jr Mm -hmm. you know at Mm -hmm. that point he had hug Nixon and everything that went along with that. And and speaking of Sly and the Family Stone, someone else from that same sort of vein of black music, Jimi Hendrix right. used to have this. And I always wonder how much of that is actual truth. Like 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 the the black audience rejected them. And how much of that was was the record company saying it 
or or because of the the programming that goes on with the radio stations mm-hmm. how much of it is because as as we saw with this it was all love it was all love and and i do much like you that 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 really affected me because you want your people to love you right like like right. at the end of the day you do you you are true to yourself but but it's it's it, common has a quote in um i think it's love of my life the root song where he says you know when we perform it's just coffee house chicks and white dudes mm-hmm. and i know we went and saw de la soul years ago and literally i think me and wendy were the only black people in the audience where were they at in baltimore okay. at uh, hopkins so it's like you know two three hundred people in the room and it's five black people in the room and three of them are in de la soul right so you do wonder you, you know and and i mean hell quest love and the roots have talked about that yeah i mean it's real i think it's i think it is real i think for Sammy Davis, it definitely was a little bit more. Well, Sammy, da- right? Sammy Davis, I probably shouldn't have mentioned because right. that, like you said, that's a whole special yeah, case, right? But for Marilyn McCoo, I think that definitely is real because you, as much as love as they're getting, people are buying their albums. There's a reason they were invited to be there. They right. are a name. They've got a hit, right. right? But as much as people are buying their albums and stuff, you can feel when your people aren't really feeling you right like you really want to be mary j blige exactly exactly like that's what you like that's the love you want that's what you want yeah that's what you want you know the record sales are nice hey you know you're not giving back the money right (laughs) you're going to keep performing at the cat skills because those checks clear before you even get there exactly Exactly. You know, they, they created direct deposit. But at the same time <laughs> at the same time you want some love in a barbershop. Yeah, and, and much like you said, I, th- I thought it was it was important to point out that this was not footage taken after they got off the stage. Right. This is footage taken last year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Where Marilyn McCool and, and Billy Davis still have some remnants of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, much like you, I thought that was an amazing moment too. Dude, there was another group on here that um, I think I was only barely aware of. So seeing mm-hmm. them perform actually was kind of revelatory for me. And that was the Chambers Brothers. Yes. Are you familiar? I'm assuming you are I familiar with I am familiar with the Chambers Brothers. The Chambers Brothers, boy, here we go. <laughs> this is your bag, though. I know, I know. But the Chambers <laughs> Brothers are important for a specific reason. I mean, they did Time Has Come Today, which is their mm-hmm. big thing. And they were another group that was, you know, definitely more on the rock side, mm-hmm. you know, so that's definitely anti the norm. Right. In black culture, black music at this time. Right. Um, even though it's becoming, it's it, with Jimi Hendrix and with Sly, it's becoming more acceptable, more, more prevalent in right. black culture right. at that time. But the Chambers Brothers, because they were four black guys in the world of the temptations ojs and groups of that uh, that sort they definitely still stood out well uh, uh, you know again and it's sort of like the fifth dimension kind of folds into that like like there is this moment like there is this marked moment where because of radio genre gets really balkanized okay and you have to be here 
or, or, there. or there. But 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 I think in 1969 it was not uncommon to mm-hmm. be like a hip black person. Like like you know I'm a 19 year old young woman and I like music and I listen to Jimi Hendrix. I listen to the Chambers Brothers. I listen to you know the Norman Whitfield Temptations. Mm-hmm. I listen to Miles Davis's wife Betty Davis who got him to wear all them crazy clothes. <laughs> I got a copy of Bitches Brew. I listen to War. Yeah, oh right. How about that? War, yeah. And then as you move into the 70s, mm-hmm. and you get these these black AR departments at these record labels and you get the, the real advent of FM radio, it really gets chopped up. Yeah. To the point yeah. where 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 Rick James talks about how Rick James is really the successor to everybody that I just named. But when Rick James comes out in the, like, like I forget, I forget. Probably like the mid seven, mid late seventies, right? So Rick James's first album, come and get it is 78, right? Come and get it is 78. He has a bunch, but then his real breakthrough is street songs. Yes. Which is 81. He always talks about, there was no real black, like he was the black rock. He was the during his time, during his like when he, yeah, because he's coming out of disco, right? And then Prince famously, when he gets signed as part of his contract, he says, Don't put me in the black division, mm-hmm. I want to be in the rock division because that's where the money was. Mm-hmm. So it really is this uh, uh, again, this artificial part of 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 the business mm-hmm. that kind of breaks up something that until that point was very natural and very organic and again like like if you got an uncle who was who was 20 in 1970 or 1972 and you listen i, I mean funkadelic mm-hmm. like you listen to maggot brain and that's i mean that's just get to let's just you know my man playing the guitar like it's all like what is, like what is rock like what is rock? What is like like we put these names on things and all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pull back because now I'm a because now I'm about to go like like see now I didn't pulled up Funkadelic and now we're gonna I actually watched their documentary too. Yeah, we're gonna sit over here next we'll be talking about fishbone and bad brains and <laughs> boy, so I, I TV watched on the, the radio. There's a Parliament Funkadelic documentary on Prime that mm-hmm. I watched. Um it's not that great of a documentary because it 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 interviews everybody except George Clinton. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of cool. I mean, you know, they all kind of like got jerked over by George, but you knew that, you know, it was going to happen. Look, ain't that always the way? Yeah. As far as Parliament Funkadelic, there's some songs you can't help but enjoy. Right. I mean, you just can't. But on the whole, I've liked the idea idea sure 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 I, I like more it. so than it's, their it, output it's funny before we start talking i was talking about i've always been happy that i've avoided certain nerddoms mm-hmm. because it gets a little bit too deep and on the music end parliament funkadelic is one of those like i like some parliament like it's like three or four albums i like but once you start getting the the broads of Funkenstein and oh, and, wow. and, yeah. and and all like all them side albums and it, that's a little bit too deep for me. It's way way like it gets real real deep with Funkadelic. But again, I think it is important to note that these artificial parameters that we put on this music that you know oh you're making black music, you're not making black music, 
you're making this, you're making that is is all completely artificial. Right. So that it did not surprise me that the fifth dimension had fans there. Right. No, right. no, it did you, not surprise me. You know, me as at all. much as you, you know, I'm glad that that Billy Davis and Marilyn McCoo and the other members had that moment. Mhm. I just think it's a shame that they had to have that moment. Sure. So, but sure. it's a great documentary. It's a great documentary. Um, Mahalia we, Jackson, the, the Staples singers, Mavis Staples. Yeah. Um, Nina Simone. I wasn't well, sure if you well, had seen thing. up to that point. The irony is, like you said, this footage has been buried forever. The Nina Simone footage is the only part that has been floating around. Yeah, that. probably because like, you got I've a funny feeling that. she bought her own. People. I've seen that. Well, yeah. it's so powerful. Yeah, yeah, because that's the premiere of Young, Gifted, and Black. Right. So I've seen that a million times in Nina Simone footage. I just never knew where it was from. I was talking to someone, actually, a, a friend of mine, and talking about the documentary. And they hadn't seen it, but I told them about, you know, all the people in there and Nina Simone. And they even they commented, you know, because it's, it was, it's a white guy. Mm-hmm. And, and he's kind of like, you know, just he's learning black by proxy sure and you know so he's he, he and he has an appreciation for this stuff but when i told him about nina simone in 1969 he was like oh my god i thought nina simone was like so much so like new right you right know? and i said no it's just because she is her music is eternal right and exactly you, you still hear it that's what that's all but nina simone has been in the game for well was in the game for a minute dog she yeah oh yeah got some age on her and like you said this is the uh premiere of something like young gifted and black which you know almost immediately is iconic most definitely we got people in the in the chat commenting robert monroe jr says that i saw dizzy Gillespie at the Blue Note in New York City. And my friend and I were the only black audience members. All the other black folks there were on stage or were employees. Oh, we can't even get into jazz. Like, once you start talking about jazz, that's been a problem with jazz. Forever. Since forever. Yeah, so I I invited you, ladies and gentlemen, to go check out Summer of Soul if you uh, have access to Hulu or check uh, wherever you are locally and see if it's playing in a theater near you. I'll go further and say it's required viewing. I think it's required and and they, we all kind of tiptoed around it in the documentary, and I've seen Questlove talk about it. But it it's an absolute crime that this is as iconic as the Woodstock concert. That's true, and 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 there are reasons about that which are divulged in the documentary. Right. Saw so that you all. I actually want to see, and I don't know how much they go into it, but I want to see the documentary about how so many people thought that this wasn't worthy of being really because that brother has been trying to get this made it's 1969 dog. right it's just simple no, as no, that no. it's 1969 but it's a long time between 1969 and yesterday okay that's true but i mean look it, so you you try in 1969 you probably are pushing the 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 rock up the hill for let's say give them five years trying to get it made that gets them to 1974 1975 uh-huh man gotta eat no 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 he I starts doing you, other stuff man my god it's like footage of gladys knight she looks like a baby <laughs> she don't look nothing like a baby to me though. she's so young <laughs> yes she's she legal yeah <laughs> and and even though i've always loved them i grew an even greater appreciation for the pips let me tell you something on here the pips Ain't never been a game. Cause the 
pips was working and they filmed them perfectly you could see them working they were in sync but still individual you know each had their own little you know style to it and they definitely and gladys you know as a, as a forever was giving them the, their props you know like these are my boys you know what i mean look i always i had a running joke my dream was always to be the third the third oj because i feel like walter and eddie obviously carry the vocals mm-hmm and I could learn to dance well enough to keep up with those two. But never for one moment did I think I could be a pip. Okay. I'd have broke my ankle trying to be a pip. That's true. That's true. And we didn't even talk about David Ruffin. <laughs> we didn't even touch about David Ruffin. <laughs> David Ruffin, clean as was, the other side of the pillow. He was. He one was. million degrees out there because everybody looked hot. Everybody was hot. Except for David Ruffin. Yes, and his velour. And <laughs> fur. Fur collar. Said <laughs> Motown training. I caught him a couple of times looking to his left and the right looking for the boys, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was looking for the boys, though. Yeah. <laughs> he was looking for the boys. But, um, yeah, it's cool. This is a cool documentary. All right. All right. All right. Um, yes, Sharon Eldridge, young Gladys was hot. Yes, yes, she was. She was most definitely mm. young Gladys. Then they interviewed. I was about to say, and then they present. showed old Gladys. I was like, <laughs> old Gladys is so <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Gladys Knight, a million years old, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I said, all right, Gladys. Janine <laughs> Batiste says David Ruffin dressed for winter, but was still cool. <laughs> he was. All right. Let's get into our review of New Jersey Drive. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. I got hooked up tonight, son. Tonight. Tonight. Yo, you my man or what? Me and Midget, we were restless, just burning to catch up on something. No! Why don't you come take a ride with me? I ain't getting in no stolen car, doing that no ain't donuts no or whatever y'all. Nah. Mm-hmm. So what we did was take rides. Baby. Even if it was a BMW, a Camry, if it was a Lexus, Benz, it was all good. We just wanted to drive, man. <laughs> You understand what I'm telling you? This is my groove. Why don't you get a job to be all you can be? My man was like, blood out. It's funny, you, right? I ain't laughing, man. Some crap friends, man. But Midget was always taking it to the limit. Yeah, it is right there, kid. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's get on the speaker. Get on the speaker, Dad. All right, pal. Pull over here, guys. And it seemed like I was always the one paying the price. My name's Lieutenant Roscoe. How are you? Fine. Do you mind if I ask you a couple questions? Are you Jason Petty's mom? Yeah. You know what they're gonna do to you? They're gonna lock your ass up and throw away the kid. What's going on, man? Yo, you see that right there? I'm taking it. Look good on video, you know that kid? Oh, get out! He took dirt! 
saying? You was just gonna leave me out there? I did what I had to do. I got bills to pay. No matter what, he couldn't get satisfied. He just had to keep going right to the edge. What's up? You want some of this? Want some of what? And you gotta watch out for the one who thinks he ain't got nothing to live for. It was all fun and games, you know what I'm saying? It was all good. You're going away, you hear me? Away! But ain't no more games to play. You better say goodbye to your man, Midget. Because before you even know it... <laughs> you out of luck this time. The games is over. New Jersey Drive from 1995, written and directed by Nick Gomez. The story, Jason, played by Sharon Corley, and Midget, played by Gabrielle Cassius, are two black teenagers living in Newark and boosting cars until it gets real. This film from 1995 from Gramercy um, Pictures was a modest success in the the swatch of hip-hop related crime dramas that hit the theaters in the early to mid 90s and gave birth to not one but two soundtrack albums new jersey drive volumes one and two volume one considered a underappreciated slice of hip-hop goodness in many circles this was vincent's selection for tonight's review here on the michaud mission vincenzo what say you of new jersey drive i have a friend who talks about the 90s Mm -hmm. in black films the way i talk about the 70s if you've been listening to this show for more than five episodes or five minutes you know the 70s are my favorite decade for black films just because the sheer quantity that came out during the so-called black exploitation period Mm. and the variety Mm. that went along with that quantity but there was a similar renaissance if you will in the 90s yes certainly certainly you you could argue spike lee sparks it in the late 80s with his career, but but then after Spike Lee, there really was this wave of black films of all different types. As as you mentioned, one of the main types was the quote unquote hood film. And New Jersey Drive is a film that I understand if people missed it. Mm-hmm. Or as as you mentioned, I think New Jersey Drive among music fans and certainly among young men was more famous for the soundtrack Mm -hmm. than the film itself. And it is a film that being about these young men who steal cars, like that's really the plot. It's about a group of young men who steal cars and how things unfold from there. There are one or two plot elements that are barely threaded throughout the film. But this is really almost a slice of life. And I think like a lot of these quote unquote hood films, Mm -hmm. the main challenge that Nick Gomez had was to humanize these characters who by definition are committing crimes to the point that as the audience 
we sympathize and dare I say empathize with them. You and I just just for for another podcast, we we were watching a film called Charm City Kings. Yes, about the dirt bike boys in Baltimore. And I don't know where people live, but certainly here in Philadelphia, I know in New York there's a whole culture of young people, primarily young black and brown men who have these dirt bikes mm-hmm. and they run through the city and do all this this different stuff and it's actually fairly easy to romanticize them. And I thought one of the, the things that the film that we watched, Charm City Kings, did well was isolate those elements that make you understand. Like, like you, there are moments in the film where you see the, the young men working on their bikes, lovingly bringing the bikes to, to life so that, they're, they're, that they are their bikes. Mm-hmm. You really get the sense of freedom that these young people have that they, they just don't have in other parts of their lives. Mm-hmm. New Jersey Drive is a film about these young people who steal cars, really from working people. Like I thought it was, I thought it was very noteworthy that these were not high end car thieves. There's one moment where they steal a, a Lexus, but for the most part, Nick Gomez plays straight, plays fair. They're driving old Accords and old beat-up cars. Like, these are cars that belong to working people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how do you present a film where we as the audience sympathize them? And it's really, it's the script and the acting. Right. Script-wise, I don't know if this is a great script or a sparse script. Because to me, the strongest part of the script is the moments where these young men are talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And it feels so natural. Yes. And it's so true to life. Nick Gomez has an an ear for dialogue. And you really do get the sense these are young black men in 1995. And, and, And I have to say, as someone who is a young black man in 1995, this is what a lot of us sounded like. Yes. So that went a long way to humanize these young men. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that about it. And that was made my favorite aspect of the film. Not that, you know, the, they have car chases where you are supposed to get the sense, this sense of freedom that they have with the cars. But for me, the best moments were when they all were just talking to each other. Yeah. And that was fantastic. And then the acting... I like this cast. I like this cast. It, it's it's sort of uh, Jason um, Sharon Curley plays Jason, mm-hmm. who is the main character, who is the protagonist. Has not done a lot of acting. No, he's actually kind of left acting. Yeah, now. not done a lot of acting, and I loved his eyes. I loved his eyes and I loved his stillness there there where they start the film and he kind of lampshades it where he says my mom always talked about being somewhere that was peaceful and quiet mm-hmm. and basically my life is not that and there are these wonderful moments throughout the film where he you just see him observing the chaos mm-hmm. and he is weary and he is tired and it's all over his face. Uh, Donald Faison, I've always been happy for Donald Faison and the success that he got with Scrubs. 
and he got that big old scrubs check for so many years but i've always been a little uh because i love donald Faison as a character actor and because of scrubs it kind of took him out of that uh, okay. like he basically became a star right so again i'm super happy for donald Faison and super happy for his family and everything that that success granted him but as a film as a film lover and a lover of black actors kind of took him out it kind of took him out and i like him in because he's super charming and super goofy and again comes across as a kid mm-hmm. like he's actually comes across well, he's a kid because he is a kid yeah Gwen McGee plays plays uh, Sharon uh, plays Jason's mother. Fairly thankless job, and and you see these characters in these you know quote unquote hood films as a beleaguered mother. Mm-hmm. But I like her. Mm-hmm. I like her a lot. In my mind, the the real MVP you don't see her enough, and that's how I knew she was doing great work. Jason's little sister. <laughs> Jackie, yeah, played yeah. by Samantha Brown, someone else who has not done as much acting since then mm-hmm. as I would have liked. She is fantastic. She's yeah, she's a little sister. Jackie is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But from my mind, we've talked. We talked about him very briefly in a uh, get on the bus. Gabriel, Gabriel Ca- Cassius. Gabriel Cassius is the truth. Yeah. He is the absolute truth as midget, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he is 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 charming. He is menacing. He is tender. He is this friend, and his character almost literally steals the film. Like I think it's so noteworthy that the last ten minutes of the film, where Jason basically shuts down. Mm-hmm midget comes to the foreground and and everything that you kind of seen throughout the film he now brings it to the fore right before the film ends right and in a film that is very loose like i said there's not much narrative there's this bit with the cop who shot somebody and and there you know he's worried about a grand jury there's a, a plot that they plot point that comes up then goes away where Sharon gets into a altercation with a dude in their crew who, who then ends up shooting at him. Yeah, and but that, that had something to do with his sister. That had that has like, something to do with Jackie. Right. But that doesn't really go anywhere. There's the 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 the, uh, the beginnings of a spark with the family situation. Yes. Where his mother is getting married to a guy who I actually said this about a couple of characters in here. He's an asshole, but he's not wrong. Yeah. Like he's saying stuff, and I don't really disagree with what he's saying. I just don't like how he's saying it because you've been with Sharon this whole time. Yeah, I didn't really see him as an asshole, actually. But I, I mean, I feel- look, he's a dude marrying his mom. Okay, that makes him an asshole too. Right, because right, we're looking at it from Sharon's point of view. Yeah. Like, I'm 16, 17 years old, just a dude marrying my mom. And I thought it was great. Like, he wasn't abusive. Mm-hmm. He wasn't taking advantage of any. Like, he just the dude marrying your mom. Right. So you kind of understand why Sharon doesn't really feel that way. But I like this movie. I like this movie. I'm, I'm not really ready to fight for it that hard. But I like this movie. I think if there's one thing that I would recommend the most, this is one of the better highlights or or better showcases, rather, 
for Gabriel Casey, uh, Cassius. Oh, most definitely. So, so oh, definitely. If, if anything, I would recommend it just most definitely for him. But, but it's not you know he, it's not bad. You talk about how he almost steals the film. This is almost akin to Tupac and Fresh, mm-hmm. where when he first comes up on screen, you say you notice him, and you're like, oh doing something interesting i'm not quite sure but he's doing something interesting and then the next thing you notice you haven't taken your eyes off him the rest of the movie i don't think he necessarily has tupac's magnetism i mean Mm -hmm. you know very few human beings ever did right but he's not far off especially in this film but yeah as someone who had never seen this film uh to watch it the dialogue, like I said, we mentioned about Nick Gomez's ear for dialogue comes off. This just sounds 100% authentic. This maybe sounds more authentic than most quote-unquote street films that I've ever seen mm-hmm. because it does sound exactly like what's outside on your stoop. To the degree, though, that as bare bones as the plot is, some of the plot details get lost in the vernacular, the mm-hmm. slang, the patois of Newark that you, if you don't know it, you may miss actually what's being said, actually what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw a note look, doing research on this that no film in the history of Hollywood has used the phrase, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> As much as New Jersey Drive, with the irony being, part of the audience didn't know what they had saying. no idea what they were saying. <laughs> you know, you keep asking me, I don't know, I don't, I do not. Could you please repeat? But, but now we're we've moved on. Um, so I think that. Get, but you know me, you know I'm I'm catching it. I'm, I'm digging. It. You speak fluent 1995 Newark. <laughs> Yes, I was right there with them. Right. Um, but the other thing that makes it feel authentic is as bare bones as the story is, it is the story of the street. It's wash, rinse, repeat. It's the same things. These guys just living on the street outside, hanging with the boys, see some cars steal the cars, get caught by the cops, cops rough them up, maybe go to jail, maybe because they're young, go home, let mom scream at you, wake up. Now what are we going to do? Let's go back on a corner. Let's go steal the car. Let's get run from the cop. Right. And, and that cycle repeats in this film. I think the film is supposed to take place over the course of about a week or two. No, yeah. I think about a month. Um, because from, from the young bull who's shot in the right and then shot the grand early, jury. And then he comes to grand jury mm-hmm. about a month later. And then he goes to jail for three months. And then he go then Jason goes to jail for three months, yeah. right. Um I think you sometimes get maybe get lost with the timing a little bit in mm-hmm. this film. Um because of so how much things just kind of just wash and rinse and repeat you kind of like lose track of the time um also because they tend to wear the same outfits all the time so you don't really get a sense of which is authentic which is authentic 
Um, the, the only one time that it really threw me off, and this does happen, I guess, is that for the most part, they're wearing jackets and hoodies and jeans and caps. But then there's this one scene where everybody's got on tank tops. <laughs> like the bull pulls up in a tank top, girl right. sitting outside and like, you know, like short sleeves and chilling. Right. And it's like, okay, I'm like, oh, it's summer. But then the very next scene, which I'm led to believe is later that day, everybody's back in the sweatshirts gotcha. and caps and stuff. So so it threw me off of that just you know, and that's just that's a very small detail, mm-hmm. but it did throw me off a little bit on a timing of it. But overall, I did enjoy the film. I do think it the bare bones of the plot hurts it a little bit um, in that the tend to meander mm-hmm. a little bit and almost like in search of when to move on mm-hmm. to the natural finish line. Like we get it. This one cop Roscoe is a bad cop and we've seen two or three examples of him being an asshole of a cop. Mm-hmm. We don't need the six more examples right. of him being an asshole cop that come after that before he gets his comeuppance. Right. And even then, we don't even get the satisfaction of really seeing him get his comeuppance. Right. You know? So, that that's a, a little bit of a letdown. Um, I felt that Nick Gomez, as much as he has an ear for dialogue, I think he has a way of painting pictures with yeah. his scenes. You know, you spoke about the scenes where the guys are just talking to one another. There are times when they're talking to one another and they're just in silhouette. And all you can see is just their bottles of beer as they pour out a little for bulls that are left and, and drink it or their silhouette inside their cars as they're driving through. And those are very evocative pictures that he is painting. Mm-hmm. Um, he does have a way of staging things that is that's pretty tight. Uh, he gives us, you know, it doesn't do anything for anybody else, but for a huge heavy D fan, I love just the one heavy D scene. I just love just seeing Heavy D again. But even that, though, is a plot point that sounds like it could be something interesting. But is then it's, and then it's never like like this sense that if like the local drug dealer mm-hmm. also doesn't want you stealing cars, right, and causing a lot of ruckus because that brings the police, right, right. And right. and I remembered Heavy D playing that character. I thought he was in it more. Yeah, and he's, he's really just in the it's one, just one scene. scene. It's just the one scene where he says it, where you think, right, right. If if I'm running a a, a drug empire out here, I don't want the cops racing up and down. Mm-hmm. And then nothing happens with it. Yeah, because not only is Heavy D never mentioned, is never in the movie again, but even that particular point, right, it's not even mentioned again. Um, and the other thing that you you also mentioned is that you talked about how these they're not stealing you know high-end cars right right this is not gone in 60 seconds right right these are young boys that are just boosting cars and the thing about a lot of these films that are set in this world the idea is that these boys or these people industry because it's not always boys are doing whatever they do they do by way of whatever criminal activity as it ends to a means. Exactly. Either because they feel like they have no other option or they're doing this because they have their eye on a prize. Right. That they're going for. And what, despite the charisma of the actors, 
what I think hurts this film a, a bit also is that maybe in if you're in the same age as them, you would feel different. And I can't, I just can't put my mindset in there. But I can't imagine you're really rooting for these guys, right? Because they literally, like you said, they're just stealing cars to steal cars, right? You know. And like, again, from people who are just trying to. Just live. Right. You, you know, talking about Nick Gomez painting a picture, I thought something that he did very well that you don't see in a lot of these films from this period. This is a community. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly the, the, the characters characters are in the foreground, but scene after scene when the characters are talking to each other and the movie's going on, when you look in the background, you see families, you see kids, you see people going to work, you see people coming from work. Mm-hmm. And these are their cars. Yes. Yes, which is which is really even striking because you would think the rules is one, at least don't steal from the neighborhood. But if you're going to steal from the neighborhood, at least don't steal from the people who seem to be down with you. Right. Because they rob, they jack a car from this young lady who's infatuated with, with Jason. Right, right. Towards the end of the film. Towards yeah, the end of the film. Yeah. They jack her car She's been ride or die with all these guys right. the whole movie. Not like ride or die. She's not down with right, that life, right. but she's like, you know. Well, those are some guys that apparently they didn't know, and that's her mother's car. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like I said, you 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 just can't. You find yourself at least I found myself being unable to root for them to yeah. like. I just I, because there's no rhyme or reason for what they're doing, and you see the Jason character coming to that realization. It, it, I was about to say, I think that is actually part of, yeah, the yeah, way the but, film but, concludes. But the thing is, and, and I guess it is just like real life, you see him coming to that realization, but you don't see him ever acting on that realization. Well, I think much like real life, and in this case, I, th- I think a lot of young people, circumstances move themselves mm-hmm. so that you basically have no no choice. Yeah, you know, like I said, I, I think it's it's frustrating, but also very, very um, appropriate that when Gabriel Cassius' character Midge takes over the film at the end, like there's this wonderful scene where where Jason has gotten out of prison, of, of prison, and and he is he, you know he's very thoughtful. And I shouldn't say prison because he's not really right. In prison, he's in like, like, like a, a boys a, a, boys, a boys home, home. yeah, because right, right, he's right. young. Right. But he's very thoughtful. He's very forlorn, and and Midge basically prompts him, and, and he's pushing him, and he's goading him until finally Jason wakes up, mm-hmm. and it's the Jason you've seen the entire film, and and you know just this beautiful smile, and Midge says, "There he is, yeah, welcome home," and then he gets into the van. But you already know that there's only one end for midget. For midget, yeah. He even says he he tells him, "You go live your big old life." But he, you know he's he's got a bunch of brothers. <laughs> As the voiceover says, Midget's house is all right unless all his brothers are home from prison. I know. And then he ends up being you know dead. Although the film, to um, I thought this was a nice detail. At the at the point of the film where Midge catches it, we've watched a whole movie mm-hmm. about how these chases go bad. 
So we don't need to actually see it. Exactly. We just see the aftermath. Right. Which is very uh, uh, provocatively filmed. And very effective. The, very very effective. effective. Yeah. So yeah. we mentioned at the top, or I mentioned at the top, how much a lot of people appreciate the soundtrack yes to new jersey yes. drive were you also a fan of this soundtrack? i was a fan of the soundtrack i must say of the 90s hip-hop soundtracks this was not one of my favorites mm. but but i definitely own both volumes see i never i didn't own both volumes i owned volume one which the big hit off of it was can you see yeah total with yeah um, oh yeah Smalls. yeah um but it actually had like yeah i mean it Everybody is on this joint. Uh, I mean, I always just go to Red Man. Red Man, uh, where am I? Lords of the Underground. Lords of the Underground. Definitely got their start on here. Moment on here, yeah. You know, uh, Heavy D got a track. Outcast Mm -hmm. got a track. Queen Latifah. You hear Queen Latifah's track at the end of the movie. Um, Repping Jersey, of course. Most definitely. It's it's a cool soundtrack. The music of the film is. is definitely got like the score of the film is like hip hop, yeah. like break beats and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and I think they're pretty they're they're nicely done. They're not they're nicely layered within the, the I mean, framework it is of the actually movie. Actually, a hip hop film. Yeah, like yeah. like just and every and everything. And one thing that we haven't mentioned: this is one of that small group of films, Tales from the Hood, Drop Squad, this that were 40 acres in the mule productions right produced by spike produced by spike lee Mm -hmm. and it's something that i really wish he would have kept doing like kind of like i'm not directing it this isn't my movie but i like what they're doing i'm gonna help you get it financed we'll put it under my banner Mm-hmm. And we put it out, and and I love like I love this moment. Like I really went, when when I was deciding which film to do, I went back and forth between this and Drop Squad, and I chose this. But I, I like I love that, and and again, I wish it was something that you saw more of. You see, Ava DuVernay is is kind of doing this a little bit, where where I've gotten the success, I've gotten this acclaim, and now I'm just going to try and give other people shine. Uh, just you know, we, we talked about Gabriel Cassius, who would go on to um be in Get on the Bus, as mm-hmm. well as a f- few other pieces of work he was in. Um, I think he was in Black Hawk Down, as well. He pops up. He's in TV work, and yeah, yeah. And Nick Gomez, even though he hasn't done his filmography as far as films, is not large, but he definitely has done quite. A number of credits on television yeah, yeah, and on some keep, very yeah, illustrious work mm-hmm. on the sopranos the shield law and order svu you know how many people love law and order svu mm-hmm. um and also on a huge favorite of ours the expanse mm-hmm. so he's um done done some very good work i also want to give some love for three reasons two Michelle Morgan, who plays the the young lady that we mentioned, yes, Kareen, I believe is her name, mm-hmm. in this film. And I want to give props to her for three reasons. One, because hers is pretty much a thankless role. Mm-hmm. She's not really asked to do much to kind of show, kind of like be the the girl in Look, the film. She's she's the girl in the hood movie, right? Right. Um, and what she's given to do, she she 
does okay with. Sure. She's she's good with. Um, so I want to give her props for, for doing that. Doing it okay. I'm going to give her props for being, you know, here is, <laughs> as I always tell my friend Ariel, here's my man moment. She is a beautiful woman. Yes. The second she was on screen, like she's like in the background for a second on the screen before she come like as she's walking in and I noticed her immediately in the background. Well, again, talking about the script and how real it is, she perfectly embodies the cute girl who knows she's cute. Mm -hmm. Like that moment when she walks past a group of boys and she says hi to them and you hear it all in the hello that this is the best part of their day. Yes. And then she keeps it moving. Yeah. It's the best part of my day that day. Um, but three, I want to give her a prize for, for the third reason. Okay. And, and I don't know how much of this is she bears the credit for or it's the stylist. The hairstyle mm -hmm. that she wears in this film, which is kind of like, I don't know. I'm sure there's a name for it. It's kind of like it's like pressed almost like. Sure. On her, you know, with a bang. I, I know you're not looking to me for answers. Yeah, I know. Okay. All right. And I and I I couldn't illustrate it if, if I right, wanted right, to right, in right. words right because that was I don't know what you were doing just now with your hand I don't know if you were boging or like I don't know what that was but <laughs> I forgot more camera and I, I was, <laughs> like people are looking at me I was like what is he what is he doing <laughs> but go ahead Len's having a stroke right <laughs> we, you liked her hair I liked her I liked her hair but it's it was a hairstyle. That I've always liked. Okay. And I never would see it a lot, but whenever I would see it, I always appreciate it. Right. But then you do that thing with your hands and it would scare them. <laughs> and the next day they change it. Hey, girl. It. Hey, I like, <laughs> I like this. Come on. You know, you're doing your, like, I don't know what all that was, but you would say, you know, hey, Keisha. And you would because like when you're men our age, it was like a million black girls named Keisha. And you was like, hey Keisha. And then you would do that and it would scare her. Yes. Yeah. So yes, I've never dated a woman with that hairstyle. Well I, uh, <laughs> and now we know well, why. Now we know no real hardy boy mystery there. <laughs> Three hundred years from now when they're doing some research on the Michelle mission. And trying to unravel mysteries, that will not be one of them. <laughs> but um, yeah, she and, and she she was rocking it. Yeah, I was like, oh man, that's that's hot. <laughs> I was digging it. I really I really liked it. Um, so yeah, that's um, I want to give her props for that. I'm trying to find a picture with her hairstyle. But I can't really find a picture. <laughs> right. Now your search engine's about to be all <laughs> sketchy. It's about to be sketchy. You're looking up like 16-year-old girl <laughs> hairstyles. That's that's no good, man. That's no good. <laughs> your old ass over there looking up. That's that's no good at all. I found a picture. I'm, I'm, I got a picture. I'm gonna. See? I'm gonna. I want to put it. I want to. I want to put it. Uh, show it to the people on Facebook, um, so that they can see it, and so that you can see it, Vince. I, I saw it. Yeah, but the people on Facebook. All right. So, so for the people on Facebook, and we actually just spent almost an hour talking about me seeing it. <laughs> do you know what it is we do here? 
There it is. There it is. And that's not a great picture of it. It's not a great picture of it. Admittedly, but I like that hairstyle. All right. I always did. It's a waste. Anyway. <laughs> so, would you recommend that people watch? Was that a good expenditure of time, Lynn? When you do your post-op of this episode and you're editing it. <laughs> this will probably be on the ground with trailer time. Right, right. <laughs> I would recommend it. I would recommend New Jersey Drive. You, you've actually made a stronger case than I was going to make. I, I, I think as, as an example of Nick Gomez's work, mm-hmm. I think as an example of a film from this period, uh, again... Gabriel Cassius is is gives the best performance in the film, mm-hmm. but this is a film with solid performances yeah. across the board. the The dialogue is fantastic. You, you know, I just mentioned Nick Gomez's work, but but on both ends, both his pen and his camera. So I, I would recommend it. I would recommend. I would recommend New Jersey Drive too. Mm-hmm. I think it's is um a solid a solid film. It's uh well paced like i said it meanders a little bit yeah but it meanders in the way that life meanders and because they are you're kind of riveting and also just as kind of unfortunately like life you keep seeing how from day to day scene to scene as much as things stay the same unfortunately what is changing is that somebody else is not here right and that just kind of like as that starts to total up it it really becomes striking right um in this film but i would definitely um recommend new jersey drive yeah it's it it's it's kind of really um gallows humor but whenever we would look at these films now and you kind of know the way these films work i always look for the shot in like the first 15 minutes that I know they're going to reference at the end of the film mm. when half of the people in the shot are, are dead. Yeah. And it's always that group shot walking of, down the street, walking down the street and they're laughing and they're having a good time. And it's like, yeah, this is a moment they're going to reference right before the credits. Yeah. As back when things were simpler. That's true. That's true. Or is that scene at the beginning of your first day of college when you're in the auditorium and you look to your left, <laughs> you know, they don't do that anymore. That's good. I told my students about that, and they were horrified. Yeah. They could not believe that they used to do that, but they absolutely used to do it. And for our younger missionaries, what we're saying, when freshman orientation, they would sit all the freshmen in the room, and they would say, look to your left, look to your right. One of those people will not be here next year. That's right. And it was 100% correct. It was. <laughs> it was. But it wasn't cool. No, it wasn't. It wasn't it, cool. It wasn't cool. It wasn't cool. <laughs> the woman would come out in that old fancy wig and say, may the odds be ever in your favor. Let the Hunger Games begin. And then the doors would open up. Yeah. And we're not talking about the 60s and 70s. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we're talking about the 80s and the no, 90s, ladies no. and gentlemen. And then the first gauntlet was that dude sitting at the table giving everybody credit cards. Yep. <laughs> yeah, something else they don't do anymore. Yeah, I think that's against the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't come onto the campus, right? And think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's why that's where you've got that real suspicious-looking hot dog truck across the street. 
It's just steam. There's no hot dogs. It's just steam. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> wet credit cards. Wet credit cards. Get your wet credit cards. But yes, New Jersey Drive. <laughs> Before we tell you what we're going to be reviewing next week, ladies and gentlemen, with a very, very, very special guest. Um, we invite you to check out the Michelle Mission, MichelleMission.com, Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. Go to MichelleMission.com and hit swag to check out all of our cool designs available to you from our good friends at T Public. Email the Michelle Mission at Michelle Mission at gmail.com, M I C H E A U X M I W S I O N, and like and follow and subscribe to the Michelle Mission on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, as well as YouTube at Michelle Mission, which is a proud member of the Podglomerate. Thepodglomerate.com. The Podglomerate, they make podcasts work. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, the Michaud Mission is going to be broadcasting on a very special day. We're going to be broadcasting on Monday, July 12th, and we're going to have a very, very special guest. You know her as a finalist from American Idol season six, and she is going on to have a fantastic career as a singer, songwriter, and performer all over the world. Vincent and I will be sitting down with Melinda Doolittle to review Annie from 2014, starring Jamie Foxx and featuring Quavajane Wallace. I'm going to try and get Vincent. Melinda, I know from a couple of other podcasts that she has done, mm -hmm. she likes to do podcasts from home. Okay. Chill at home. All right. Maybe she won't be doing this because it's the summer, but over the winter, she would like to do podcasts. You know, people get nice and comfy. She would do it in a onesie. So I was going to see if whether or not she is going to be wearing a onesie for our review on Monday. And if so, to see if you, Vincent, I'm not wearing a onesie, would also wear a onesie to do the review. I probably should have let you finish the sentence that you already knew the answer to. <laughs> You're not. No, you know, I don't dress up. Dungeons and Dragons, Star Trek, cosplay, the super. You, 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 Your own live events. No, you don't dress events, up. You don't dress up. You don't dress up. Yes. If Melinda, you can wear one. Though. I'm about to say you if, wear one. If she is down with wearing a onesie, then I too will wear a onesie. Y'all can be onesie twinsies. Well, we will. There you go. Anyway, so that'll be going down special time next week, ladies and gentlemen, Monday, July 12th, 7 p.m. Annie 2014 with very special guest Melinda Doolittle here. Oh, looking forward to that. On the Michelle Mission. I am too. Yeah. I, I am definitely. Both looking. for the guest and the movie. Okay, we got to get out of here. He's Vincent. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again.